And I'm going to ask you to turn. Uh, we're going to look at several passages this morning, but I would like to begin with Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have a Bible or uh, can find a copy of the Bible nearby, uh, I would definitely invite you to turn to the first passage, Ephesians chapter 4. And if you're using one of the house Bibles, it is page 978. There is very little as important biblically as our minds, or sometimes what the Bible refers to as our hearts. So, for example, the scripture says that as a man thinks in his heart, what? So he is. We're told that out of the good treasure of a heart, a person brings forth good things, and out of a bad heart or mind, he brings forth bad things. Out of the abundance of your mind and your heart, your mouth speaks. So the Proverbs tell us to keep or guard our hearts with all vigilance, for out of our hearts flow the course of our lives. Your mind is a vital spiritual battleground and a place where God intends to renew his image. And I think that is seen in several passages, the first of which we'll look at here in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 17. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 17. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles, using that as a term for unbelievers. You must no longer walk like the Gentiles or unbelievers do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God through or because of the ignorance that is in them, which ignorance and blindness and darkened understanding is due, the scripture says, to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But then he says, that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in, in Jesus, to put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What you have in this passage is what can be referred to as the sanctification dynamic. Sanctification is the process of becoming more conformed to the image of God, more like what God made humanity to be. That is to say, more like Jesus Christ. And that process has a certain dynamic to it that is described in these verses. You see it negatively in verse 22, Take note of that verse, if you would. In verse 22, he tells us to put off the old self, the old person you used to be. That is, that person who is characterized by natural fleshly desires apart from God, that characterized by sensuality and greed and impurity and falsehood put off that old person, and we have put on a new self. If you have come to be a believer, if you've had 
if you've been uh, transformed, if you've been regenerated and converted, you have become a new person, a new self. And that new self, the scripture says, goes on to work hard, to love truth, to be characterized by kindness and forgiveness. But if you notice that between verses 22 and 24, there is something that is central to that process, that sanctification dynamic. And that is this idea of being, verse 23, renewed in the spirit of your what? Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. You see, the Bible teaches that we are born, you and I, born into the world as people that are under a curse, brought upon ourselves by our own rebellion in our first parent, Adam, and that kind of sin and rebellion against God is characteristic of every single human that's ever been born into this world. We are born, as it were, um, with a hardness of heart, the end of verse 18 says. And what does that hardness of heart do to our minds? If you look earlier in verse 18, you'll see the answers. What is due to our hardness of heart? Well, it is a darkening of our understanding, uh, a futility of our minds. The end of verse 17 says all of these, the, the scripture tell us, are due to the hardness of our hearts. In other words, human beings are born into this world. Took one step too far. Human beings... Human beings are born into this world with an effect of sin already tainting our thinking. From the moment that we're born, what comes to mind most naturally is already skewed by sin. Theologians sometimes refer to this as the noetic effects of sin, N-O-E-T-I-C comes from the Greek word noose, which has to do with your mind. Sin affects every part of us, including how we think about the world. You know, there is a kind of a myth of neutrality that people look at the world and, and the goal is to kind of be neutral and to just look at all of the evidence, pro and con, on everything in the entire universe and just kind of weigh it all out and, and somehow we can be neutral. The truth is that no one is neutral. Everyone thinks something to start with and their presuppositions may be challenged by what they see, confirmed by what they see, but no one comes into the world neutral and the Bible's teaching is that everyone comes into the world with a mind that's already in some at least subtle sense that is to us subtle is already hostile to God is already on the wrong track and this is why so many people miss God our minds are already set to go that way but with Someone who is being transformed by God, the way that that transformation works, the way that he, he learns to experience the new self in Jesus Christ rather than the old natural self, the way that he moves to experience that new life is through this critical transformation of his mind. He begins to think in new ways that are informed by God himself. This same dynamic is seen in a couple of other passages. Let me make reference to one, and then I'd like us to look at one more. Uh, you see it, for example, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Many of you know that passage probably. Don't be conformed to the world, but be 
transform by the renewing of your mind so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So you have this dynamic of putting off or not being conformed to the thinking of the the broader world that is against God, but learning to approve what is right and good and acceptable and, and, and real. And the way that process happens is that we are transformed, it says, by the renewal of our minds. That's what we want to talk about today. Being transformed by the renewal of our minds. There's one more passage I'd like you to look at. It's the parallel to this one that you're looking at here in Ephesians over in Colossians chapter 3. So it's two books over just to the right. The book of Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 9, I think we'll read. And this parallel is helpful uh, not only by what it says that's the same, but what it says that's slightly different. And that difference will help inform our thinking about the first passage. So let's start with verse 9, Colossians 3, beginning in 9. Do not, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. You see the same kind of language we saw in Ephesians. Lying has to do with that old man. Put off, put it off. Along you have put it off, he says, along with its practices. And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. He's the new human. He's the image of God in whose likeness we are all being conformed. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassion and arts, put on kindness and humility meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Verse 16 now, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Once again, you see that you have the same dynamic that you had in Ephesians and in Romans, albeit in a slightly different order here. Verse 9, the beginning of verse 9, he says that we have put off the old self. In verse 10, he says, uh, we have put on the new self, which we're reminded to do as a, a command again in verse 12. And then in verse 10, the end of verse 10, he says that that new self is, here's the key, it is being renewed in knowledge. Once again, the renewal of our mind, our thinking, what we, what we think we know, the renewal of our minds as Christian people, the renewal of our minds is crucial in this put-off, put-on dynamic of sanctification. In Ephesians, we're to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. In Romans, we're being, to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. In Colossians, we're to be renewed in knowledge. The focus in every one of these passages is on the way that we the way that we think. So crucial to Christian growth, our thinking, our minds. I want to tell you that most of your spiritual fight against sin, most of the battle that takes place to be more 
like Christ will take place on the battlefield of your mind. What you allow yourself to think about, where you allow the train of your thought to run, how you will allow yourself to frame, mentally frame the situations that you face, those kinds of decisions in your mind will be utterly crucial to your sanctification. You win or lose the battle in your mind. And every one of us knows that kind of battle. I think if you're, if you've, if you're a Christian, if you've, if, you've, if you've become a new person and you are striving to become the new person that you are, then you know what it is to battle with those thoughts that you know are going in the wrong direction and to put into place those thoughts that you know are right. I've known that kind of struggle when I have battled with envious thoughts, looking at others who seem to prosper. A young person knows this kind of struggle when he battles the immoral thoughts of sensual lust. The Christian sister knows this kind of battle when she struggles to fight against sinful comparisons to other people. A brother knows this kind of battle when he fights against mental laziness and wasting time and didn't want to make his mind work. The believer who won't witness for fear of what others might think of them knows this battle. The Christian struggling with fear and worry and trusting God knows what it is to be in a battle and a struggle to think rightly, to think rightly about God. I'm going to say it again. Listen, friends, our greatest struggle is a struggle to think right and true thoughts about everything. Our minds need to be transformed. Almost all of our spiritual struggles are a struggle to think rightly about God or about ourselves or about the future or about the pleasures of sin or about the joys of seeing God or about the ephemeral nature of this life or about the reality of the world to come or about the certainty of gospel grace or about the nature of truth or beauty or goodness. It is a struggle to think rightly about everything. And I, I would bet that whatever it is that you right now are struggling with most, you think about that. What, when I say that, what comes to your mind? Whatever you are struggling with most, that whatever you are struggling with most is at its root a struggle to think rightly. A struggle that is to think God's thoughts after him. To let God tell you what is true and right and pure and good. In that struggle to think rightly, to be renewed in our minds, Paul gives us, I think, some real help in this book, this book of Colossians. So go back to the text again. Take note of it, if you would, for a moment. In verse 10, again, we're told there that we have put on the new self in Christ. He enlarges on that theme in verse 12. You see now he makes it an imperative to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness. And he summarizes it all in verse 14 when he says, put on love, put on the peace of Christ, which binds everything, all of those things together in perfect Harmony, And then he comes back to the central part of that sanctification dynamic when he speaks of the renewal of our minds. And he highlights the means by which that renewal of our minds takes place in verse 16. Again, parallel to Ephesians. Ephesians uses the term the renewal of our minds. What does Colossians use in its place? He uses this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Ephesians, be renewed in your mind. Colossians, let the word of Christ 
dwell in you richly. One, Colossians, helps shed light on what the other means. Or, to say it another way, it enlarges on the means of accomplishing what Ephesians tells us to do, to be renewed in our minds. How does that take place? By letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And I want to focus on that little phrase for the rest of our time here together. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let's just take three th- three words out of this uh, sentence and meditate on each one of those. Very simple this morning. First of all, the word. The word of Christ is the focal point here. The word of Christ is uh, parallel to another expression Paul uses in Colossians. It refers to the verbal and written revelation of God in Jesus Christ, which, of course, is preserved and recorded for us in the inspired Bible. This book is the written um, revelation of that word of Christ that was preached by those earliest apostles which is the capstone of all of the biblical revelation, all pointing to our wonderful Lord. I shouldn't have to convince any of us probably that the Bible is central to our sanctification. This morning, I only wish to remind you. It may be that somebody is here saying, you know, I'm really struggling in my sanctification. I'm struggling with sin. I'm struggling to think rightly. I'm struggling to do what I know I should do. I'm so inconsistent. And one of our greatest problems is that our minds still need more renewing from being exposed to God's own words. We need to think more deeply about them. We need to let them become ingrained in us. We need to examine the, the, the beauty and the truthfulness of them and contemplate the implications of them for our lives. And I will say that sometimes we just need to expose ourselves to more of the words of Christ. Everyone here, I think, gives mental assent to this truth. Somebody said, told me a long time ago, this book will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from this book. We read it earlier where how will a young man cleanse his way by paying heed to the word. Sometimes our trouble is we just need to be reminded of what we know we really need. We need, in order to live, we need the words of God. Man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Oh, that we might live more this year. Not just exist, but live. Brothers and sisters, that's what I want for myself more. That's what I want for you, that you might live. Live. Live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The Bible is not just about putting off. We don't just need the Bible to keep us from sin. We need to put on. And when we read the word of God and when we put the words of God into our minds, we are putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, his character, that new self created after the likeness of God that is described as compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient, forbearing, and forgiving. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we talk about reading the scripture, please, please don't think of it just as marking off another checkbox on your reading list. Think about it as drawing near to the Lord Jesus Christ, being influenced by being exposed to the Son of God, the perfect man, the kind of person that God wants you to become. We put on the Lord Christ. And to be like that, we must look at Christ in the Scriptures, the verse on the wall in our church describes how it works. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 18. And we all with unveiled face, 
Referring back to when Moses saw the glory of God and veiled his face, we, we see God, as it were, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. How does that happen? How does that transformation from one degree of glory to another degree of glory take place in the life of a Christian person? By beholding the Son of God, by beholding the Lord. And that we can do every time we open up the Scripture, every time we hear the Word of God preached and taught, we see a little more of the glory of Jesus Christ. And when we see it, the Bible says we are transformed by it. I'm going to tell you, that's true. You cannot really see the glory of Jesus Christ and not be transformed. It is a transforming thing. The struggle is to see, to really see the glory of the Lord. So if you would know what it is to put off and to put on by having a renewed mind, then you must be focused on this, the word of Christ. There's a second word in that sentence that I want to highlight, and that is the word dwell. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. The word is, uh, has at its root the word for a house or a household, to set up your house. Some of you moved this year, bought a new place. It's exciting. It's wonderful to hear about. Some of you in recent days. And now you're getting ready to set up house buying some furniture, maybe people give you some nice stuff, Uh, getting ready to move in, put pictures on the walls, make it your own, set up house. Here's what the scripture is telling you. Let the word of Christ set up house in you. Let it furnish your mind. We're not talking about just having a passing conversation with somebody at the street. We're talking about let them come in, coming in and living with you. That's your relationship. That should be my relationship with the word of Christ. Our engagement with the Bible shouldn't be just a passing thing where we come to listen to a sermon every month or so or whatever. And our engagement with the word of Christ should be one in which we let it come in and just set up home in our hearts. Have you ever had somebody come and live with you for a little while? Maybe long term, maybe a few months or even years. Maybe you've had somebody come and live with you forever, like all your life uh, since you got married. Uh, everybody, we've all known to, in some way what it is to let somebody come in and, and I tell you what, you let somebody come in and live with you, it'll change the way you live. Um, you get married and you, it'll change the way you live, right? Some of you, uh, remember to your first years of getting married and your life was changed for good. Amen. Yeah, good. You better say amen. Good, good. Those who didn't will be noticed. Yeah, so you let you let someone come in and set up home in your house. It's going to change you. And it will when we do that with the word of Christ. How many have had to learn to adjust to living with another person? They like things a certain way. They don't like things a certain way that you like them. And you give and you take and but one thing is True, you're never going to be the same. Your life will be affected. I'm going to ask you if you are letting the word of God, the word of Christ, really set up house in you to really furnish your thinking. It is interesting that the parallel passage to Colossians here in Ephesians chapter 5 um, in, in place, in this place, it, it says something like this. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. So very, again, very parallel. In fact, you can go and read the broader context. And you'll see great, all kinds of parallels. It's essentially saying the same thing. On the one hand, he says, 
be filled with the Spirit. On the other hand, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. So is it the Spirit or is it the Word? Which is it? And of course, the answer is yes, it's the Spirit and the Word. The Spirit inspired these words, amen? We believe that, right? This, I tell you, if you don't believe that, then, well, no matter what, I want to encourage you to pick this book up and begin to read it and see for yourself the power of the of God himself that is alive in these words, in this testimony. But we believe that the, the scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit is the very words of the Spirit of God, and that is what changes us. In fact, the verse that, uh, that I quoted a few minutes ago, 2 Corinthians 3.18, the one on our wall, says we are being transformed by, by seeing the glory of God from one degree of glory to another. And then it says this, this happens by the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God taking the Word of God and shaping our thinking if we let ourselves be shaped. So I want to emphasize that this morning. Let your mind, let your thinking, let it be shaped by the Word of God to a greater degree than you ever have before. Let the Spirit fill you with the Word. So, in our key verse then, the focus is on the Word. The command is to let it set up house to let it dwell in us. And then there is this adverb, this manner in which we are to let the word of Christ dwell in us. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you, what? Richly. Surprise, surprise, this word has to do with being rich. <laughs> has to do with something that's lavish, something that's abundant, something that is... Uh, beautiful. Let the word of Christ have a lavish dwelling place in your mind. Let it have a big space. Let it set up a lavish home. I want to ask you this morning, is that what you have? Some of us may have some of us may have a kind of home in our mind for God's word. I want to ask you, is the dwelling of God's word in you very lavish? Is, is your mental uh, home for the word richly appointed? Is it fully furnished? Some of us have a mind and heart that's open to the word of Christ, but it's very sparsely furnished. I mean, in your mental scriptural house. There's a table over here and a kind of a broken chair in the corner and, you know, uh, a stocking left hanging by the fire from Christmas yet. And, you know, a few uh, miscellaneous things scattered about, as it were. But we're told to let the word of Christ have a rich dwelling in our hearts. No small room with one bare light bulb precariously hanging from the ceiling. I mean, richly filling up our minds. That's the image here. How do we do that? Reading the word, listening to the word, listening to preaching on the word, reading books about the word, memorizing the word, singing the word, thinking about the implications of the word in our lives, speaking the word to our family, speaking the word to ourself, speaking the word to God in prayer, meditating on difficult passages in the word, encouraging ourselves with phrases from the word glorying in the Savior of the Word and rejoicing in the good news of the Word. Fill our minds lavishly with the Word. That's the command. It's very simple. And yet it's, it's everything. It's everything in terms of sanctification. It is, it is laying hold of Christ. It is being filled with the Spirit. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Have have you ever spent the night in a place that was just beautifully furnished? I mean, you left home and you just went somewhere special and it was just like every detail was was thought about. You can tell that, that, you know, whoever sort of designed this space, I mean, they thought about everything. I mean, the way the sun comes in and the, and the, and the, you know, the mint on the pillow and just every detail of everything about that space was just beautifully decorated, well maintained. You had everything that you needed. That's the kind of minds that we want to have in terms of the word of Christ, the word of God. So that Christ may have, as it were, a, a place that is lavishly prepared for him to indwell. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. It is the word and our response to the word that prepares for the indwelling presence of Jesus Christ in the person of his spirit. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Are you going to invite the Lord into your heart and say, come sit down, but there's nowhere to sit? To say to him, come and eat, but there's nothing to eat? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The Holy Spirit says to you, where will I sit and what will I eat? Your home mentally is empty and bare. The question is, how will the Spirit work in your heart when there is nothing to work with? I think some people are under the mistaken impression that the Holy Spirit works apart from means. That is, he just kind of swishes over you and you become more spiritual. You just kind of wake up one day and he hits you with some kind of heavenly zap. The truth is that by and large, the way that the Holy Spirit works is to use the means that he himself has given to us. His very words, the word of Christ, inspired, written down by humans, but filled by the Spirit of God. It's those words that he uses to bring you into conformity to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are dependent on the Holy Spirit for the renewal of our minds, but the Spirit uses the means of the Scriptures. And so the the message really is very simple. If you... Particularly, I'm speaking in in here to to those of you who are believers, those of you who believe that you have already become a new person in Christ and long to experience that newness evermore. But I'm really, of course, speaking to anyone. This book, I'll just tell you, I mean, I've studied the book, you know, fairly regularly and deeply for 20 years and longer than that, I have, I have come away more and more amazed and astounded at this book. This book speaks truth, and it has changed the landscape of history. Human history has been shaped by this book. Even if you are not a believer here, I don't... If you are going to be intellectually honest, you must walk away and begin to engage with this book, the Bible. But I want to encourage especially Christians to renew your mind with the word of Christ. Get into church and hear the word. Hear the word as much as you can. 
on Sunday mornings and on Sunday afternoons. Get as much Bible as you can get. Read the Bible. To read it every day. I have in the uh, back of the church over in the Welcome Center a list of Bible reading resources that will help you. I usually, you know this, I give it out at the beginning of every year. I tweak it a little bit from year to year, but uh, if you haven't gotten one or if you've lost yours or if you're just looking for something new, maybe a new study Bible to read from this year or something along that line, I encourage you to pick up one of those in the Welcome Center on your way out. There are uh, there are resources in here for reading through the Bible, reading through the Bible in one year or over a couple of years, for reading the Bible in companionship with reading notes on the Bible. There are resources for digging deeper. Maybe you just want to pick one book this year and just dive deep down into that one book. There are commentaries on here. There are um, helps for memorizing the Scripture. One of the greatest blessings that has really sustained me in so many ways uh, has been memorizing the words of Christ, the Word of God, or reading the Bible with your children, parents, Parents, this is your calling. This is your responsibility. We are trying to teach your children the Word of God, but you have that first calling of giving your children the words of Christ. There are helps here for doing that. I hope you'll pick one up. But most of all, more than anything else, I just hope that you'll leave this morning with a commitment to, for your own good, to give yourself, to give your mind over to thinking God's thoughts, to reading his words, to meditating on on them in a deeper way. Read the Bible with a pencil in your hand, mark up your Bible, make connections, notice emphases, read it with your family, listen carefully to preaching and teaching, take notes on sermons if that helps you, meditate, reread, listen again to a sermon. You know, most of the sermons... Not all, but most of the sermons that get preached here have too much for anybody to digest in one sitting. So go back and reread that text later on. Meditate again on it. Review your notes. Peruse on your own. Dig into the Word. See what God says. I tell you, there are so many things that we as a Christian, that we as Christians kind of know about the Bible just on a very surface level. I kind of know generally what that book in the Bible is about, but I'm not real sure. I definitely don't have real deep acquaintance with that book or that concept or that um, topic. And as long, as deep as our knowledge of the word is, so deep will be our communion with Christ and the transformative effect that that communion should have upon us. And I've just found that even if it's a shorter section, but you give yourself to that and you work through the words and the syntax and the connection and read the surrounding context and just take that passage and memorize it and make it yours, it will have a transformative effect. And it is a sweet thing when God does that and we're drawn in to the Lord Jesus Christ. Learn to apply God's word to your everyday life, to pray without ceasing, to be filled with the Spirit by meditating and praying the Word of God, to think God's thoughts about yourself and your spouse and your parents and your school and your job and about God Himself, to think God's thoughts about your future and the pleasures of sin and the joys of seeing Him, to think God's thoughts about who you are and what you deserve and how you ought to think about yourself. Most of us know what it is to feel our minds going down a wrong path, right? You know what I mean? Like you're sitting there and your mind is consumed with something and in about three or four minutes you realize this is not really the right way to think. And you have a choice then. So what you're going to, whether you're going to let your mind keep going down that path or whether you're going to yield to the Holy Spirit to think true thoughts, God's thought, to let God inform how you're going to frame that thing that you're thinking about. 
Let the word of Christ have a rich dwelling in you. And I want to make a specific application this morning that if you've never done so, or even if you have, I want to encourage you to try to read all the way through the Bible. All the way through. And maybe you've been a Christian for years and you've never done that. And I I recognize there are some parts of the Bible that are hard. I still scratch my heads on some parts, so that's okay. Don't feel bad. That's all right. We'll keep digging in until we get a little bit more of it and get a little bit more of it. The Bible has a way of doing that, doesn't it? Those parts that perplex you, well, there's other parts that are informing those parts and they begin to just all work together and and the the connections that you begin to make in your mind, that the Spirit begins to make, the, the whole Bible, instead of being a whole bunch of disparate parts that don't make any sense, they all begin to come together in one beautiful picture that just draws you right in. And I want more of that. I don't know about you. I want more of that. I hope you do too. Read the whole Bible. Acts chapter 20, verse 27, Paul said to the Ephesians, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, all of the revelation that God gave. I'm preaching it all. I encourage you to read the Bible. You know, you can read through the Bible in a year by reading 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 minutes a day. Read through the whole Bible. Some people, that's a daunting thing. Well, it is. The old saying is true as ever, I guess. How do you eat an elephant? Just one bite at a time, just one day at a time. And if you fall off the wagon, you don't just lie there. You get, or to use our illustration, you get back on the bus. Right? We have a Bible bus that just left two days ago. You have, you're not too far behind. You're just, you can catch up two days. Brother Paul is leading a, uh, a read through the Bible program. You don't have, uh, if you're not on his email list, he'll be more than happy to put you on that and send out his encouraging emails. So often they're helpful in reminding me to, to just engage with what I'm thinking to, uh, to contemplate it throughout the day, to puzzle over things, and most of all, to think about the significance of those things for our lives. I hope you'll, you'll jump on board that Bible bus or pick some plan to begin reading through the Bible. Um, there are a number of plans, as I mentioned, on this list, reading through the Bible in a year or a couple of years. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Perhaps this year will be a a new year of Bible memorization for you. Memorizing key verses that will sustain you. Do you know how many times, well, you probably do. How many times God has arrested your thinking with a verse or phrase of Scripture? Amen? Doesn't God do that for you? He does it for me? I think he does it for all of you. Yeah. Those verses that you have hidden away in your mind, in your heart. You've thought about them so deeply until you practically have a memorizer. Maybe you just sat down to memorize them, but I hope you will. Or memorizing uh, 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 paragraphs or or chapters or even books of the Bible. Hide the Word of God in your heart. I'll just close with the illustration. I I know I've shared it with you before. It just always amazes me. George Mueller, um, the the well-known Christian uh, man from the 1800s who ministered to hundreds and hundreds of orphans in his lifetime. And he, and he had, I don't know how many uh, uh, orphanages, four or five orphanages that he ran, um, all of them without any fundraising, just seeking the Lord and the Lord somehow or another providing. Um, he established in his lifetime over 100 Christian schools with over 100,000 children in those schools. He ran a Christian literature ministry. He traveled extensively. He preached all over the place in different languages, in addition to faithfully pastoring a local church for 66 years, preaching three times a week. This man was incredibly busy. How did he do all of that? Where did the strength for all that come from? Where where was the 
drive to keep doing that year after year after year after year? And the answer that he gives is this. He says, quote, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the word of God and to meditation on it, that thus my heart might be comforted, encouraged, warned, reproved, instructed, and that thus by means of the word of God, while meditating on it, my heart might be brought into an experiential communion with my Lord. What is the food of the inner man, he asks? Not prayer, but the word of God. And not the simple reading of the word of God so that it only passes through the minds just as water runs through a pipe, but considering what we read, pondering over it and applying it to our hearts. It is absolutely needful in order that happiness in the Lord may continue that the scriptures be regularly read. These are God's appointed means for the nourishment of the inner man. Consider it, ponder over it, especially we should read regularly through the scriptures consecutively and not pick out here or there a chapter. If we do, if we do, we remain spiritual dwarfs. I tell you so affectionately. Then he gives his own testimony. For the first four years after my conversion, I made no progress because I neglected the Bible. But when I regularly read on through the whole With reference to my own heart and soul, I directly made progress. Then my peace and joy continued more and more. Now I have been doing this for 47 years. I have read through the whole Bible about about 100 times, and I always find it fresh when I begin again. Thus, my peace and joy have increased more and more. Would you like to be able to say that? Amen, I would. After 66 years in ministry, or after after 47 years in ministry, uh, I, I have... Peace with God that is sweeter than the day that it began because I've come to know him more through the word of Christ which dwells in me richly. Let this be a year, let this be a year when you determine to lay hold of the means of grace, to put yourself in a place of communion with God by letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this word today, and I pray that you would give us all grace to heed it, faith to believe it, and discipline to put it into practice. For our own good, we pray, and for your glory, For these are tied together by your grace. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.